Welcome to Sunday Morning Quarterback with Jay Stockwell and Bob Frady. Coach Tom Osborne, what a pleasure to have you on Sunday Morning Quarterback. Uh, you have been in my life for all of it. You, In fact, you started as a graduate assistant in 1964, the year of my birth. So for 59 years, uh, I've been impacted by you. And it's very fitting on the 100th anniversary of Memorial Stadium that, um, you, you know, looking back over the time scales, you've been associated with the program for 59 years. That's just amazing. Uh, and I think it's probably a tribute to the fans, which have been selling out the stadium since 1962. So can you just talk about Nebraska fans and how unique and different well, they are yeah, I think from we, other uh, programs? Obviously, have a very loyal fan base. And uh, when you look at the fact that in uh, sport of football, we've had uh, six losing seasons consecutively. I would imagine most places in the country, uh, you have uh, 25 to 40 percent of the seats empty. And uh, somehow, some way, we've maintained the sellout streak. And actually, I, I didn't come to Nebraska in 64. It was actually 1962. Bob Devaney and I arrived at Nebraska in January of 62, and almost simultaneously. And, of course, Bob Frank came from um, Wyoming. I'd been in the NFL for three years. And Andrew decided to come back and go to graduate school. And uh, I went in to see Bob, and I, I said, uh, kind of like to ease my way out of athletics and maybe I could be a graduate assistant coach. And he said, well, he said, you know, we've got all the coaches we need. We don't really need you. And he said, but, you know, we've got these guys over in Silicon Quadrangle. And uh, and I understand they've uh, been causing trouble. And they threw the dorm counselor out. And if you'll move in over there and write hurt on them and settle them down, we'll give you meals on the training table. <laughs> that was the best offer I had. So I, okay, so I went there and broke up a few fights and settled eight down. And then when spring ball came by, I said, well, you know, I think we could use you. And so apparently he liked the job I did. But anyway, that's how it started. And uh, But it's uh, been a long time ago. So, Coach, the thing that amazes me is your sustained excellence as a coach. There were obviously a few hills and valleys, but mostly hills. There's you, there's Nick Saban, there's maybe a couple of other coaches who have had that sustained excellence. What do you attribute that to? Well, I, I, I had a lot of help. <laughs> I think one thing that was uh, was helpful is that we were the only major Division One football school in the state. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, I'll give you a little bit of tortured history, but Back in the uh, in the sixties, uh, the Big Eight Conference had the most liberal recruiting rules in the in the country. We could bring in forty five initial scholarships, and uh, there was no upper limit. So if you kept them around, you most schools in the Big Eight had one hundred and fifty, one hundred and sixty players on scholarship, and so it was no no accident that in nineteen seventy one. We went one, two, and three. Nebraska was one, Oklahoma two, and Colorado three. So they were really strong football teams. In the first year that I became the head coach in 73, 
the NCAA got together and they said, you know, we need a national standard. And so we can't have one conference with this rule and another with that. So uh, at that time, the edge we had in numbers of scholarship players uh, went away. And um, and so we, we thought about it. We said, you know, sometimes the 45th scholarship that we gave, or the 44th, turned out to be our best player. And, you know, we think that maybe a lot of these guys that are being overlooked are pretty good players. And so we uh, opened the door of walk-ons, and we actually courted them and treated them just like we did every other scholarship player. And as a result, we were able to compensate somewhat for that loss of scholarships. And um, so, as you know, today, the um, scholarship limit is 25 initials and 85 total. So that cut down significantly from where we were. Anyway, we tried to do that. Then I, the other thing I think that was important, we had a, a lot of continuity in our coaches. We uh, the average Division One coach leaves about every three years, and it may be because they're fired, and maybe because they have another job opportunity. But uh, on average, I think our our coaching staff stayed together, and most of those coaches, some of them at least, were there for 20, 25 years with me. And uh, so we had a lot of institutional knowledge that we could draw on Somebody lined up differently than what we thought we were going to see on the first play Saturday afternoon. Where you think about, well, you know, back then, four years ago, we saw this, and here's what we did. And so uh, that that institutional knowledge and that continuity was very helpful. Thank you very much. That's a great answer. Uh, Coach, you were 255, 49, and 3, 15 conference championships three national championships as a head coach, five in total. Looking back, are there any individual games that stand out in your memory as, oh my gosh, that was an amazing game, or a team within that uh, long history that really stands out? Well, I would say probably the uh, 1978 game against Oklahoma stood out because the uh, fans were getting restless. Uh, we, I started in... 73 and 72, we lost to Oklahoma. In 73, 74, 75, 76, 77, we lost to Oklahoma. And uh, so, most of those years, we won nine, ten games. If you didn't beat Oklahoma, it kind of got to the point where it was a one game season. And if you lost to Oklahoma, it was not good. And uh, and so uh, we played Oklahoma up here. They were rated number one in the country. And uh, the very hard-hitting game. And uh, we uh, knocked the ball loose a bunch of times, had some turnovers, and uh, and finally survived it and beat them 17-14. And from that point on, we didn't beat them all the time, but we, we certainly held our own and probably did a little bit better than uh, losing some, uh, some games. And so uh, that was kind of a turning point. I think at that point, the uh, the fan base was a little bit more accepting because uh, uh, the history book is not kind to uh, coaches who take over for well-known uh, established coaches. And so if you think about the guy who followed Bear Bryant, 
Uh, he never lasts very long. Joe Paterno not going to last very long. Uh, Bob Devaney probably not going to last very long. And um, so the thing that I did have going for me is I had Bob Devaney as the athletic director. And uh, that was helpful. And then the administration, I had a guy, Woody Warrow was the president. And, and uh, I remember some of those losses to Oklahoma. There'd be a knock on the door. <clears throat> I'd be at home, the lights out, and the phone off the hook because <clears throat> they had a listed number at that time. And I got some very unpleasant phone calls after a loss, and there'd be a knock on the door. And uh, it'd be, it'd wow. be Woody, Woody Warner and his wife, Paula. And they'd come over, and it's kind of like a wake, you know. And they always had a good sense of humor. And, of course, then we smile a little bit. And, uh, but, you know, to have a university president who would come over and spend time with all the things he had going on uh, was kind of remarkable. So... Had good administrative support and good coaching staff, and lots of players that worked hard for a long time. So, coach, who was the coach who you really had to prepare extra hard for? Like, who was the best opposing coach that you think you faced? Well, I, you know, because of the Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Nebraska situation, uh, it was a uh, definitely a rivalry. And the reason it was a rivalry, I think over a period of 30 years, the winner of that game uh, was the conference champion in 29 times. And probably a dozen times that had to do with national championship possibility. Uh, and so uh, it, was, it was a big game. And the problem with Oklahoma was that they went to the wishbone about the time I became head coach. And uh, so people don't realize it right now, but the wishbone was, was a different animal in that uh, <clears throat> most of the time you go through a whole season and you'd see people in a high formation or a spread offense or whatever. And then here, the last game of the season, we had the wishbone. And in order to stop the fullback, the quarterback, and then the pitch on the option, It'd be very disciplined, and you also had to involve your secondary. There's no way you could cover all of that just for the defensive end and uh, the defensive tackle or linebacker. So you had to have your safeties coming up. And um, and so uh, that was difficult <clears throat> to get ready for in four practices. And so we began to practice uh, on uh, Monday of every week uh, we spent 12, 20 minutes on the wishbone. And uh, and so then by the end of the season, we were not quite as flat-footed. And um, the last time we played uh, Barry Switzer in the wishbone was in uh, no, about 87 or something like that. I think the final score was something like 7-3. to three, And it was down in North, <laughs> rainy, rainy day. And we beat them seven to three, and I don't think they had over uh, 180 yards total. So we we got a lot better at defensing the the wishbone. Coach, last football question, and then we want to talk to you about teammates because we're huge fans of the teammates program. It seems to me Matt Rule is an amazing hire, and it seems to me that Trev Alberts is an amazing athletic director. 
to me, this seems like an eye formation. Do you think we have everything in place now to return us to uh, something close to what we have been in the past? Well, I, I like Matt, and uh, I have the feeling that he's pushing the right buttons, and we'll, <clears throat> he's, he's big on accountability. And that's a good place to start. Or, you know, people don't, they, it doesn't have to be big stuff, but just people being late to a meeting, uh, a little bit late to practice, uh, not going to class. Uh, that eventually erodes the culture. And uh, so I think he's uh, he's bought in the idea that you have to have accountability. I think he does realize that uh, in this part of the country, you're going to have some weather problems uh, during the football season. And probably the thing that most people don't realize that thing that's most damaging, most damaging to the uh, passing game is wind. And so we're almost always going to have two or three days where it's going to be 30, 35 mile an hour wind and in the stadium that swirls. And so um, you better have a good running game because uh, if you're going to try to win them all, or at least a high percentage, you better be able to not rely totally on the passing game. And uh, well, he's done that. And, uh, of course, our defense is playing very well. I think the offense will get better. So I like, I like Matt, and um, I think we have a good chance. And, of course, there's no way to predict the future exactly. But uh, I, think, uh, I think it gives us a very good chance. And could you just comment about Trev Alberts as well? Because it, it does seem to me that he hasn't missed a single step since he started as athletic director. Well, Trev, uh, of course, knew something about Nebraska football since he played here. He was. We had some really great pass rushers, and probably of all the pass rushers we had, uh, Trev was right there with the, the very best. Was an All-American player and played in the NFL. And uh, so he had that background and knew something about the culture. But then I, I think his time at uh, University of Nebraska Omaha was good because there you don't have the same same resources financially, and you, somehow you got to survive. And uh, so I think he had good training, good experience there. He was very articulate, obviously, and uh, intelligent. And so uh, he's, a, he's a good person. And uh, so I, I think he's doing a fine job and will continue to do a fine job. Well, we are excited about the future and excited for the weekend. My son and I are coming down for the 100th anniversary. So hopefully we'll get to uh, maybe stop by and see you. Now, moving to teammates, I, I have to say Bob and I are both big fans of Des Moines Adams. The fact that we're sitting here right now, Des Moines actually cultivated this relationship. I live in Minnesota, Coach, and he came up. And I got a call out of, out of the blue from, from Des Moines, and we met at my country club, and, and that was a few years ago now. And I probably now met with Des Moines, I don't know, 15 times. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he's just, I think, a really wonderful face for the program. So, so just start us off by just talking about how you founded Teammates, what the kind of current status of the program is, and how you came to select Des Moines as your successor. We've been talking a little bit, uh, go well, by quite a few years. Yeah. I was uh, coaching at Nebraska for 36 years and started in 1962. And as time went by, I began to notice the changes. 
first in the family structure. At uh, one point back in the 60s, we very seldom had a player on our team that wasn't growing up under the same roof with both biological parents. Time went, went on, we began to see one parent living in one city, one parent in another, and a lot of times there was no dad present. And in a few cases, we had players who really had neither parent that was involved in raising them, maybe a grandparent, maybe a foster parent, whatever. And so the disintegration of the family structure really hit, hit us hard. And then you saw the advent of the drug culture back in the late 60s. And we were going to have some drug test for players. That was a problem. Then a lot of the messages that uh, kids are inundated with today and even back in the, in the 90s, quite different than what they were 30, 40 years ago. So social media and some of the content of movies, some of the content of music lyrics, um, much more uh, socially destructive than what they once were. Uh, it wasn't Leave It, Leave it to Beaver anymore. Randy Griffith, it was... Stuff that was sometimes darker and sometimes much more misleading. But anyway, all of those things went into the decision. One day I got up from our football team and I said, how many of you guys be willing to um, serve as a mentor to a 7th or 8th grade boy like a public school? This was in 1991. 22 hands went up and... Uh, we didn't know much about what we were doing, and we went to public schools, and they said, yeah, and we think that we could find 22 young guys who would like to have a football player in the Metro. And um, we told them just meet with them once a week, and uh, if you want to bring them to practice, you can bring them to practice, you do whatever you want. And uh, and so we, uh, we matched them up, and then once a, once a month, we'd have them all get together, we'd have the speaker, have some pizza, and... Uh, so anyway, uh, things went on, and after a couple of years, I began to realize these kids were now getting close to 16. At that time, you could drop out of school at age 16. So I began to get worried about it, and I got up in front of all those mentees, and I said, if you guys will stay out of trouble graduate high school, we'll pay your way to college. It's kind of like a recruiting talk that had no substance behind it because we didn't have the money. And uh, after a couple of years, we raised about $2,000, and that was the money. And so we were gratified when, we, when they got to seniors in, uh, seniors in uh, high school. And that, uh, 22, 21 graduated on time. And uh, the thing that really surprised us was the 21, all 22, uh, 18 went on to college. And... Uh, we thought from that particular population, we might have four or five that would go on to college. We thought maybe uh, two-thirds would graduate because that was not necessarily a population of Phi Beta Kappa candidates that we were given. And uh, so anyway, uh, we thought, well, there's something to this. We expanded first in across uh, Lincoln and then across Nebraska and then into Iowa, Kansas, South Dakota, and, and Wyoming. So we're currently mentoring over 10,000 kids in 191 school districts. And and then Des Moines Adams is a uh, former football player. And uh, 
Actually, uh, when I resigned from coaching and Frank Solis took over, I told him I'd stay on to the recruiting season and try to help out. I remember going down to Arkansas and meeting with Des Moines at that time, and uh, he decided to come to Nebraska, and it wasn't necessarily because of me, because the head coach at that time was Frank Colt and Frank Solich. But that's when I first met Des Moines and uh, had a fine career here. Good student, good person. And he worked for teammates for eight or nine years and uh, was one of our key employees. And uh, eventually we had him take over, and he's now the CEO and has done a great job of cultivating all those chapters that are spread all over him. And I'm very steady leader. I'm appreciating. So, Coach, how can people get involved? Like, if our listeners are interested in getting involved in teammates, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, we uh, probably just go to teammates.org. Very simple. Teammates.org, and that will show you how to sign up as a mentor, walk you through the process. And, of course, we train our mentors. And uh, we, uh, of course, have a screening process. We've actually mentored uh, 40, over 47,000 kids since inception, and we're not at a single case where we have had any mentee abused or mistreated by a mentor. And part of that is because we're school-based and mentoring occurs in the school. But a lot of it, I think, has to do with the quality of mentors that we've had. And so uh, you're one of it, and uh, appreciate that. And uh, you must have passed the background check. <laughs> well, you're, uh, I, don't know, I, I don't know if I did, but my check did. So, so <laughs> obviously a high quality person. <laughs> but anyway, that's kind of a short summary of teammates, but it does make a difference. And uh, graduation rate this last year was 98%. And we consistently were 95%, which is when you think about the fact that probably most of our kids are free and reduced lunch, and most of them are from single-parent families, um, that is a considerable improvement over you'd normally expect maybe a 70-75% graduation rate. And uh, and then most of them have post-secondary plans where they go on into college you know, community college, trade school, four-year school. Because we feel that everybody should have a marketable skill. And usually you don't just come out of a high school with a marketable skill. So some type of post-secondary education is really important. Well, let me just say on behalf of the entire Husker Nation, thank you for your 59 years of involvement with the program. Uh, I think you are a huge reason why we've had uh, success, uh, consecutive sellouts since 1962. And it's been a real honor to have you on our program. Thank you very much.